Today's episode of the Mind Sculptors podcast is sponsored by TCG Player, your source for all your trading card game needs. Use our link in the description the next time you get your cards to help support the show. Today's episode is also made possible by our Patreon subscribers. If you want to support the show directly, head over to patreon.com forward slash the Mind Sculptors and you can become part of the Sculpty family today. Or if you don't want to do any of that, leave a like and comment on YouTube or review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts as an offering to Algorithm Jesus. Welcome, everybody, to a brand new year, a new season of the Mind Sculptors podcast. I am your uh, sculpting, your main sculpty boy. I don't know that main sounds correct. I am Callahan uh, and joining me today is the one and only Jeff Propesfart 69. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Uh, Ian here. We all know how it is. I am featuring my lovely uh, Jeff Probst cutout that I got as a a wonderful, wonderful Christmas present. Um, It's a new year. Same old shenanigans. I was actually caught off guard because we didn't do a cold open where we talk about some inane bullshit for a little bit. So that was fun. Uh, (laughs) That's uh, this is really it's really throwing me. I'm not going to lie. But anyways, yeah, Jeff and I are here and uh, we're excited for our our other guest. That's not a cutout of Jeff Probst. We have uh, the one and only Ryan from Playing With Power. Who I'm wishes he was a cutout of Jeff Probst. <laughs> cut just saying, just saying. <laughs> I'm doing great. Thank you for having me on. This is wonderful. Now, do you wish you were a cutout because of like you would have less responsibilities as a cutout, or is it like a, <laughs> is it just like a, a state of being you, you wish to achieve? You know, you know, you dress for the job you want. You know, <laughs> not the job you have. So. <clears throat> well, now uh, I'm imagining you in like some very 2D clothing that's going to get a little exactly. problematic. <laughs> it's very, very depressing. Or, like one of the things that I'm thinking about right now is just the I feel so bad for audio only listeners. Mm-hmm. It really anybody who's listening not on Spotify or YouTube is just really missing out on the full experience right now of seeing the one and only Jeff Propes stand <laughs> ominously behind Ian right now. <laughs> just silently staring off into the distance. Judging everyone here. Yeah, judging everyone. everyone. Well, I don't know if you've ever watched Survivor, but Jeff is a sassy bitch. Uh, <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> that, that is very fair. Uh, how are y'all Christmases? Did you have a good Christmas? Oh, yeah. Have a good time. Uh, doing all that stuff uh i am kind of blown away because today is well we're recording this not on the first but it will come out on the first so uh for you know because we're in the past but you're listening to this in the future um is uh today when this comes out is my two-year wedding anniversary which is congratulations yeah Um, so that is pretty neat so of course we're releasing a podcast on that anniversary and uh that podcast is so we 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 have done historically with our good friend Ryan a annual tier list one might call it the definitive 
CEDH mm-hmm. tier list. Mm-hmm. And uh, some of our fans would notice that we did not do a definitive tier list this year. And part of that was, is we started doing the monthly power ranking. So it kind of felt like it was like, you know, doing the same thing with yeah. like a different spin slightly. Um, so instead of doing a tier list, we are doing a full year power rankings. And so instead of just looking at the month and how the month looked, we're looking at all of 2023 from the beginning to the end. What did the meta look like? What are what do we think were the 10 best decks in the format overall? And, uh, you know, I'm pretty excited to do this now going into this. Uh, it was pointed out to me by Ryan that we have historically not provided any criteria uh, for what, you know, constitutes a best deck. And I will say this for me, it needs to be on. It, it needs to meet a certain threshold which is make it onto the like meta report analysis that i do and if it can't meet that threshold then i don't know that it's one of the best decks in the format uh that's where i that's my criteria uh and 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 i want to be clear like uh because it it can sound a little innocuous when you say it like that it's not like an a subjective uh analysis that Callahan does throw out there it is it is like based on actual parameters as far as like performance right, right. so these are not just like oh this is my list of decks that have done well right. it is specifically uh a mathematically proven <laughs> thing right, right? that is is not just uh, innocuous as i said yeah the 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 meta analysis for a month to month is the events that it pulls from needs to have a minimum of 50 players and the decks that, you know, show up need to have a minimum of 10 entries over the course of the month. Now I amended that for the year stats where I kept the 50 person minimum for the event entry. However, I did increase the entry minimum to 60. And the reason being is that if you count 10 across 12 months, you get 120, cut that in half at 60. I felt like that was a pretty reasonable floor. Yeah, and also uh, like five players playing a deck a month is like not crazy, right? That's right. Exactly. Beautiful. So it, it does a pretty good job of showing you we've got 20. I've got 23 decks overall in that year deck stats. I will be releasing a full uh, meta analysis breakdown for the year over on the Mind Sculptors website uh, here. Probably it'll probably be in the next week or so. Uh, I have a honeymoon or not a honeymoon, but mm-hmm. an anniversary that I need to celebrate and then a, you know, an event that Ian and I will be going to to play in. So, you know, I've got a couple of things lined up. But with all that being said, uh, you can look forward to that stuff. and. With that all, let's look at what we have for our power rankings this year. So starting it off, Ian, uh, we always do an honorable mention. Do you have an honorable mention for the year? Yeah, so I'm going to throw these out there because it it covers a large, I guess, like swath of topics, right? Um, But the the idea is two sort of like honorable mention categories, right? I, I feel like with reviewing an entire year, it's kind of hard to be like, yeah, one deck's an honorable mention, right? But mm-hmm. um, for me, it's it's now, it, and this one might be more recent. This one's more of a December pick, but like three color commanders as like singular three color commanders are kind of on a rise right now. So, um, I mean, 
whether you want to take some of these as as like memes or not. But I mean, like we saw a very good year from like Tyam pre Bowmasters. Talk about Rocco. Talking about Corvold having a really good streak right now. We talk about Tivit, right? Like like so. There's a three color commander singular uh, kind of uprising for this year. So good job for those pairs. And then I also had uh, nondescript partner piles, right? So like this is you know a a pile of partners that does stuff that other archetypes are doing or in a similar vein but then doesn't get represented enough individually to make its own thing right so like i think tim and malcolm is a great example of that because that deck is like either very very present in the monthly standings mm-hmm. or like completely disappears out the rank but no one's in question that that is a very viable partner combination right, right. um so I feel like that's a pretty iconic example of that. But, you know, if we look at like the brand new Krom Rayham decks that are, are going around or, or Krom Ikra even is a great example of that as well. So there's a lot of archetypes and things like that. And, and you know, maybe earlier in the year I would have had Krom Tavesh on there, you know, but now this is a deck that has done well enough to, to isolate itself. Right. So sort of a, a general grouping of decks that I think at least deserve a shout out if you're looking at like what decks to start building, start playing that, that you can expect to do well. Uh, but not have a specific avenue or lane in mind. Right. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. Uh, kind of jumping off of that, I think my my honorable mention for the year, I really only have one. I agree with a lot of what you're saying, but my honorable mention for the year is Malcolm Tana, which mm. is a deck that uh, a lot of people kind of fell out of favor of, but also had a surprisingly good 2023 uh, mm. for you know how people feel about it it's got a 30 percent win rate it has a tournament win has a couple top fours a handful yeah. of top 16s uh you know nothing to write home about but i'd be interested to see how much of that is pre-june right yeah i think the orcish bone masters <laughs> put an arrow in the knee of that deck for sure right <laughs> And and that is very important context. But I do think it's interesting when you can look at a whole year and and be like, oh, wow, I thought this was a deck that fell really far off. Mm-hmm. And, oh, it's actually doing OK yeah. uh, or did OK. So yeah. uh, that is a deck that might have more legs than we give mm-hmm. it credit for, given how it performed over the course of the year. Uh, Ryan, what is your do you have an honorable mention for the the year? I only have one and only and it's Tally and the Kindly Lord. And the only reason that it's on here is because it comes so late in the game of the year. And I think that there is this commander does have legs, but it's still so new Mm -hmm. that we're still trying to figure out exactly what shell it belongs in. We're still trying to figure out exactly how good it is in the command zone versus the ninety nine. And we just don't have the data to really put it you know, put the numbers up like some of these other decks that have been around for years now. And yeah. so Talion the Kindly Lord doesn't make my top 10 simply just because it doesn't have the metrics to really back it up. But I think that this commander is going to go somewhere in 2024. Yeah. Uh, let's jump into this top 10 here. Ian, what mm-hmm. is your 10th, your number 10 for the year of 2023? Yeah, yeah. Just be, before we jump into that, I do want to point out that I think, you know, the, the last two points Ryan and I brought up sort of do add a lot of context to this, right? So you can imagine uh, brand new commanders, quite powerful, that haven't had the impact that um, they, they could had they been around for an entire calendar year, right? And uh, respectively, the same about archetypes that gained new pieces or were punished and lost new pieces, right? Yeah. So like, who knows if next year, like, uh, like let's use the Derevi deck I played, for example, right? Uh, if, if that version of Derevi becomes like a tournament, like go to nowadays, right? Like we won't ever know. Cause that happened at what December 15th, I think is when I played that deck or, or December right. 9th. Right. 
So like, I think there is, there's a lot of stuff that can be like, yes, this is how we see, we're, we're looking at the entire year as a whole, but like, there's a lot of little pieces of context that can give a little more examples right. of like how that is done. Really. But uh, all that being said, my number 10 is Dargo Thrasios. Um, uh, you know, we, we talked about this a little bit pre-show where it's, <laughs> it's a deck that keeps doing well that I just, I cannot get behind. I really can't. I like, it's a deck. I have a lot of respect for the pilots who play it. And a lot of the, the pilots who like main this deck and do well with it consistently. Um, you know, it, it is something to be said that like one of the main pilots of this archetype, uh, pretty succinctly has moved off of it and almost exclusively plays blue farm now. Right. Uh, referring to freedom waffle. Right. Um, and the deck as a whole is definitely punished by his lack of presence playing the deck. Um, but <laughs> yeah. I, holding I, up I, the building all on his own. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. And I don't want to take it away from people like Manila Midget and stuff like that who have also yeah. done pretty well with it. But like Evan did a lot of heavy lifting early in the year. Right. So like I think it's it's kind of interesting to to give a little bit of context there. I just it's a deck that I think I've lost to once. Right. So for me, that's that's like the my tournament experience coloring that example. Right. Mm-hmm. If there's an archetype that I sit against and I look at it and I go, OK, I really don't I'm not worried about you for a while. And if I am worried about you, it's with X, Y and Z context that I can pretty aggressively read ahead. Right. And that's how I feel when I play against that deck. Specifically. So. Yeah. On the other hand, right, we talk about the, you know, the Thrasios engine, we have Dockside combos, we have a lot of efficient creature combos that are really hard to interact with. We have uh, the explosivity that Dargo provides, right? So like there's a lot of benefits of the deck, but you know, despite it's doing well this year, I do have it ranked a little bit lower in this top 10 because I, I don't know, I just feel like there's there's a certain amount of oomph missing from the deck as in, in general. Yeah, no, I also have Dargo Thrasa at number 10. Uh, mm. It is a deck that it made just below, made up just below 3% of the metagame in 2023, uh, which is, you know, pretty, pretty like on average, like it's about on rate for what mm-hmm. a, a deck in the format looks like right. uh, that isn't specifically Timnacrom. Uh, and, you know, it, it it really does kind of sit right here. It has about a 29% win percentage, won a tournament, got a handful of top fours, a bunch of top 16s, uh, a pretty decent like 25% like top 16 conversion percentage. So it's like, you know, exactly as good as it needs to be, if that makes sense. Uh, you know, I... I'm curious to see if that continues into the next year. Uh, because, you know, Freedom Awful there for a while was the like Sisyphus of this deck. Right. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm wondering if there is a replacement uh, person who is going to step into that role. But also if it's only one person winning on a deck. Right. Like that is also a like red flag. And yeah. so I, I, I don't I'm not saying it is a red flag for this. It's, deck. it's a testament to the pilot more than the deck. Exactly. Right. And this is a deck for, for what it's worth that had 95 entries on my data sheet. So like. Definitely was not one pilot playing mm-hmm. this deck, uh, right. but it is something to keep in mind that if it drops off in 2023, it might just be because you don't have that same dedicated base playing the deck and that might not mean that it's bad but it definitely can indicate the like progression and where people are playing and what people are preferring to play um ryan what do you have here at number 10 
So mine is still Teamer, but it's uh, Malcolm Tana. Okay. It's, uh, it's Teamer Pirates, basically. <clears throat> it's been doing a downhill slope ever since its heyday in 2022, um, but it's still out there. It's still kind of it's fallen out of favor. Sure. But like, mm -hmm. it's still fast, um, mm -hmm. formidable. It's a consistent deck, you know, but everyone yeah. knows how it works. So I think everyone yeah. just, just, it's so <laughs> choreographed now because we've seen it so many times is why it's fallen out of favor. Yeah. And you know, 10, you know, people are like, Oh, on a scale of one to 10, 10 must be awful. No, we're talking about hundreds of decks here. 10 still yeah. pretty good. Mm -hmm. Sure. It's probably not going to make it next year unless something happens to it that totally yeah. catapults it up again. So it will probably not even mm -hmm. be in the top 10 next year, but right. this is right on the edge for me. This is kind of right on the cusp between off the list and the yeah. bottom of the list. I, I, I also yeah. think it's just one of those decks that has been built one way for quite yes. some time. Right? Mm -hmm. say that. And we, we saw that at the start of the year with, um, Oh, I don't remember what he goes by online, but um, Vasher, there we go. Uh, Vasher brought it to Silicon Dynasty and he completely revolutionized the way that people were playing Malcolm Tana. Right. And, and, and forgive me if there's other pilots who worked on the list with him, but like at to that point, it was the mid range deck, right? Like it was doing its thing. <laughs> then Vasher brings this version that's playing Final Fortune, Last Chance Warriors Oath Days, right? and bring to light and stuff like yeah. that and the kiki quarter monitor lines right which were just like not being played at all in this archetype right people were like going top end with nimizit and, and whack shit like that right and so <laughs> that's just like so so here we have the the start of 2023 bringing its innovation to the archetype right then people bring it more back towards the mid-range version and once again then bowmasters comes in one ring comes in which are both awful fucking cards for this archetype yep. right yes very <laughs> and 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 so that's what we see right we see this these these cards come in and sort of destabilize what's been a very consistent and powerful deck for a little bit but i also just played against it in the top 16 of, of uh, one of the most recent chaos tournaments right so like it's not dead per se it just yeah. might mean that you know like with a number of different archetypes that I've, I've talked about and coached people with this year it just means that maybe it needs a, a boost from things that were just never thought necessary or, or or pieces that were just sort of like oh well why would we need to go out of the way to do this and it's like well now we actually have answers to that question now it's like oh yeah right. well we got to deal with this thing this thing or this thing right yeah this stuff doesn't exist in a vacuum as much yeah, as we would love exactly. for it to be that way exactly. every time a new deck comes out every yep. deck technically has a chance to be reevaluated mm -hmm. and pivot mm -hmm. to a different meta and to a different yeah. tournament and to a different circumstance we're mm -hmm. releasing sets every five seconds so yeah <laughs> things can change exactly yeah. No, I mean, that's an amazing point, Ryan, right? Like, like, uh, let's, I'm, I'm looking at it right now in Scryfall. There are 26,122 cards in Commander, right? Yeah. That are legal in Commander. 26,000. So and how like, many were, how many were released this year? Yeah, yeah exactly. That's the thing. Right. So it's like the, 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 the idea that we would have anything solved at this point is, is asinine. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> uh moving on up to number nine ian what do you have here at number nine yeah number nine um we have atraxa so um some people might see be surprised to see it so low on my list um and you know it'll start to make sense when you hear the rest of my top 10 because you're like oh yeah that's good deck oh yeah that's a good deck oh yeah that's a good deck right so <laughs> it, this list is like it's good because uh attract has been doing well right to make number nine in this this cutoff is like actually pretty solid right mm -hmm. um 
you know, we've talked a lot about this deck. And if you want to hear like our, our real <laughs> strong opinions about uh, Atraxa, I think go back to the month in review when we have Wounded Satellite on. Yeah. And we talk about the parasitic nature of that deck, how it works, <laughs> like some of the intricacies of it. I, I use that as an example anytime I'm talking to an Atraxa pilot nowadays because I feel like that is the most succinct way we've described that deck. Basically, like, you know, you, you get put in this paradigm of like, oh, well, the Atrax player doesn't have any interactions, so they need to help out the table. And it's like, OK, well, you got to let me resolve Atrax. And we're like, well, no, because then the game shifts in your favor. <laughs> like, <laughs> so, I mean, but it puts people in that position, right? Winota used to do that, too, right? Where it's like, OK, well, if you wipe my board, the Adnos player wins. And you're like, well, Winota's not killing me yet, right? Like, I guess I got to work with that. And that's that's sort of the dynamic that Atrax sort of plays upon as well, right? Does that mean that sometimes Atraxa may have the potential to end up like Winota, where it's like, okay, once people figure out the riddle, they're like, okay, well, stop. <laughs> I think, right? I think um, the difference here, though, is Atraxa has the color support oh, to support yeah. a strategy like that. Atraxa. Spoiler alert, it's not on my top 10 at all. <laughs> it's not. I like it's just Atraxa has always been kind of a weird one for me because yeah. I I somehow there's there's I get to be an old head sometimes in CDH wanna, where I'm like, like, why don't why don't you just play X and X? And I always hated that as a new CDH player. But Atraxa has kind of maybe come around the bend a little bit on that. I'm yeah. like, man, seven, man, a cost commander. I'm not saying it's not great because it's great. It's a good yeah. it puts up results. I'm not saying it's not a good deck or anything like that. Yeah. It's just that, like you said, it's parasitic. It's like, well, if you want me to help, you're going to have to have me help by me winning. And I'm like, well, yeah. that that's that's not what I wanted. And yeah, so. I mean, I got to say, though, 30 percent win rate for the year. Right. Like I, it is it is a deck that I was I mean, immediately very skeptical of. Right. I yes. Was like, mm -hmm. OK, yeah. Bad food chain mm -hmm. deck, whatever. Right. Yeah, but exactly. Like, food chain in 2023. What, yeah. <laughs> what's going yeah. on here? Yeah. yeah. No. <laughs> Uh, my number nine is Kenrith, the Returned King. Uh, Kenrith mm -hmm. is a deck that also had a 30% win percentage over mm -hmm. the year. Uh, had three tournament wins, a handful of top eights, and a pretty decent 26% top 16 percentage. Yeah. So it did a pretty good job doing that. Mm -hmm. uh, but overall, I think Kenrith is just... Mm -hmm. it. I don't know that Kenrith will ever be better than number five, in my opinion, because to me, Kenrith is one of those decks that it's just. How do I put this? <laughs> it's a soup deck. It's it soup. It's soup. But yep. it, it's soup that isn't like focused soup. You know what I mean? That's, it's like it, it's yeah. <laughs> it's leftover yep. soup is what it is. Here's what yeah, it is. Yeah. You know how when you like make soups and like your parents are like, oh shit, we gotta I gotta figure out what to do with all the soup, and they yeah. like mix soups together. That's what Kenrath yeah. is. It's the it's like no. it's, yeah, I've never heard of that. I guess you guys didn't grow up poor. <laughs> I did, but I wasn't mixing my spaghettios with my Campbell's vegetable. Wait, Come wait, on, wait, wait a minute. You just call spaghetti soup? You say oh, here we go. There oh, we no. go. I'm sorry, canned goods. Maybe that's how poor I was. We couldn't, we didn't, we weren't, we weren't affluent like you that could differentiate what our canned goods were <laughs> yeah, every yeah. month. Sorry, <laughs> your <laughs> highness. That, that wasn't as good as it was. If it go in bowl is soup. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. If can't be on plate, must be soup. So uh, for 2024, the question is cereal soup. That is the question. Cereal, uh, anyway. cereal. 
You can eat it dry um, or wet, but here we are, you know. But yeah, so Kenrith is kind of that just yeah. amalgamation of other decks. Yeah. It doesn't really have much of an identity of its own. And I think it's kind of cursed to be that way because the yeah. commander is so generic. I, and yeah. I will say, I think PTD has done a lot of good work with Kenrith. Like half of the good results of the year are uh, PTDs with the King's Kitten list, right? Mm-hmm. And that doesn't look like other five color decks, I will argue. I think I think the way PTD has that one built, it's definitely way more mid-rangey and stuff like that. And I know like there's the dead eye mm-hmm. lines that are like specifically like, okay, this is Kenrith, right? All that being said, you're 100% right. It's a soup deck uh, by all means. Um, I also, in shifting a bunch of my decks around for this top 10, because I had to readjust my list right before the recording, uh, I did have Kenrith up high on my list and then delete it and then forget to move it down. So I I will say (laughs) Kenrith probably deserves to be my like number seven or eight, but I deleted it. So oops. Get fucked, PTD. Uh, (laughs) Kenrith is on my list too, but it's it's not number nine. (laughs) Uh, What is your number nine, Ryan? What do you got? My number nine is what your number ten was. It was Dargo Thrasios. We were off just by a little bit, but basically, it's a lot of the same stuff you said. I don't know if we need to rehash it for all the same Mm -hmm. reasons. You know, Mm -hmm. like yeah, like I get it. Like I I thought was very apprehensive about Dargo ever being a viable commander till I saw it in action in 2022, and you kind of get spanked by Dargo once, and then you're like, okay, I get it. It's it's not my it's not it's not higher on my list because Dargo just doesn't explode out of nowhere. It requires a certain degree of setup. I need mm-hmm. to resolve greater good and then be able to draw cards by reducing Dargo and doing this, that and the other and stuff like that. There's there's a number of steps that have to happen in a certain given Dargo turn to really make something mm-hmm. out of it. Once it happens, that's it. You know, you that's right. it. You're 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 pretty much done. But you can see it coming because of all the things that have to get set up in order for it to accomplish this thing. But like you know, it goes infinite with a bunch of tools and stuff like that because of how Dargo works and draws cards through a lot of the sack, you know, sack spells and sack enchantments and stuff like that. And I guess I kind of like the idea of the backup if you're just beating somebody with a 7-5 is kind of cool, but it's still kind of all of the rest of the stuff that you all said. It's, you know, it's number nine. It's not as good as some other ones can be, and it has a couple of shortcomings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Moving on up to number eight, Ian, what do you have here at number eight? Number eight, I have the Sphinx himself, Hivit. Um, Twere it to be earlier in the year. Uh, many folks would know that Cal and I were very high on Tivit. Um, Spoilers, I still am very high on Tivit. The feeling for me on the deck uh, is just that it is so good. But, and I have to add the but every time I talk about this deck. And that's, that's the problem. It, it, it's got that clock problem, right? Where it's it's so amazing at this this dominant mid game and then you get to the point where you're like okay well now i'm going to resolve my tivit and then i'll hold up mana and then people are like force your tivit and you're like are you sure <laughs> you want to do that uh, or they red blast it or they hit it with something or they're like tivit's been on the battlefield for a turn i'm going to kill the tivit by paying the ward cost and everyone's like hmm now are you but are you sure about that one (laughs) and then the person who resolves the next creature that is actually a game winning piece usually ends up winning the game is what i find with the tivit play Mm -hmm. right and there are pilots who get away with resolving tivits or having tivits around for more than a turn and a half right but that feels fewer and farther in between and i think for me personally when i'm playing a deck like tivit i don't want to play tivit and then people be like oh god tivit's gonna win the game because Tivit's a lot worse in those scenarios, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's the, it's the Winota problem again, right? Where it's like, 
if you think one win to flip wins the game, you've vastly misunderstood how that deck works, right? It's an engine thing. And I think Tivit works that way too, right? You play your control pieces, you play your engines, you play Tivit, and then eventually after a turn or two of like getting in there, accruing some value, then you can turn the corner and go for the win, right? But when that evaluation gets a little bit off, then, then for me, it's a deck I, I feel comfortable playing less because mm-hmm. of that scenario, right? Um, and you know, once again, like a lot of these are definitely colored to my specific experiences, but I, I played a lot of Tivit, right? Mm-hmm. Um, now, I've been told that there are some people doing well with different variants of Tivit right now. I know uh, like Temujin, for example, is a, a Chaos player who continually shows up with Tivit, continually does well with it. <laughs> Very frequent flyer on that archetype, right? Um, but it really depends, right? So I, I like the idea of, of Tivit still continuing to be a good deck in the format. And once again, being number eight on this list means it does doing well in the format, right? right? It's just, uh, you know, it is definitely starting to receive more focus than I think it maybe needs to. Um, not to the point where I'm like, this is ridiculous, right? But definitely, like, you know, the, the evaluations, I think, a little bit off on the card. And when that happens, it becomes a lot harder to play. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh, the the big thing with Tibet that's important to remember is... Uh, I think it is a deck that made an adjustment to a more mid-range game for when Bowmasters and stuff came down. And then when things picked up, didn't really adjust with that too. And I think that is a big uh, piece of that also. I think that adjusting the deck a little bit so that it's not so chunky is maybe worth uh, the the consideration that being said i'm not saying that the deck should stop being a control mid-range deck i'm just Mm -hmm. saying hey maybe it should have maybe one or two other cards that help it turn the corner yeah Um, agreed Agreed. and that's really my biggest critique of it and uh definitely i i've been doing a lot of theory crafting on to it lately but Mm -hmm. uh Mm -hmm. my number eight for the month is tevish krom or for the year excuse me is tevish krom Mm. Uh, tevish krom is a deck that if you look at the numbers raw is maybe the best deck in the format behind Timnacrom. The issue is that when you then put your, your, your goggles on and you go and dig into the, into the mud of the, the data, you see that it doesn't even have a quarter of the entries that Timnacrom has. It doesn't have half the entries that rog sai has so it just hasn't seen the same level of play that these other decks have had with that being said or with that being said it's still proportionally one of if not the best performing deck of the year i mean it does have the best win percentage of the year like by by a wide margin like it by like two percentage points which in cedh is like a big jump right mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. it is a 32 percent win percentage over timnacrom at 29 which is quite a lot uh and it also has the best tournament winning percentage it also has the best top four percentage it also has the best top 16 conversion percentage of any deck for the year like Across all metrics, it probably is the best deck in the format, but it's really hard to say that definitively when it doesn't have nearly the metrics to or nearly the data like the uh, 
the vastness of the data is just not there. We can look at the sample that we have and go, this is really good. And if it continues this way, I can predict that it's probably going to do be one of the best decks in the format by and large. However, uh, the data is not there right now. I think right mm-hmm. where it sits uh, at about two and a half percent of the metagame, I think like number uh, where well, number eight is a pretty reasonable spot for it right now, uh, especially when you consider that the other seven decks on my uh, list have a, at minimum double the entries. So like it, it's one of those things where I I love the deck a lot. I think it's really good. I've definitely come around to it, but I want to see what 2023 has. it. I want to see if it gets more popular uh, and uh, I'm excited to see where it goes. Mm hmm. Uh, Ryan, what is your number eight for the year? My number eight is Tivit. <clears throat> it's just, right. like, just like Ian. Basically, the same thing. I think it is probably one of the better control decks in the format. Um, I, I, I'm not sure if I would go in to say that it's the best one because that's really tough to quantify with all the different entries and stuff like that. But the, as far as mid-range control does, I think that Tivit does a really great job at it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it does suffer kind of a Winota problem, though. Like, yeah, you have your Thoracle win that's baked in there and stuff, but you can't access it through your commander. The time save thing is nice, which is good. But it's like if people catch on to Tivit and they kind of remove your Tivit, there goes your uh, there goes your your advantage engine right out the door. You know, like your card advantage engine through the clues and your mana advantage through the treasures. It's just and now you're going to try and have to cast it for eight if it gets countered off the stack and now you're it's in a tough spot because a lot of times you'll tap a mana vault or crack a jewel lotus to get it out there Mm -hmm. and so now you're trying to have to play a control game which is historically a losing game in commander Mm -hmm. and cdh Mm -hmm. it's just it just doesn't do very well and i think this is one of the best at it but still you know at the same time it's still only number eight on the list you know still top 10 out of everything but like you know yeah, just not quite up in the higher rankings as maybe certain people might have it at. I see looking you looking at, at me. Okay? <laughs> yeah, <good. laughs> because, because I'm looking pretty intensely. <laughs> Listen, nobody is going to be surprised where I have to. When it's your number one. It's not my number one. <laughs> Tier um, zero. OK, but, that's cool. You made a new entry it, for nobody's it. Nobody's going to be surprised you. that I think it's a you know, top five deck. Spoiler. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it's, you know. Yeah, Tivit's, Tivit, Tivit's great, but like you know, I, I, th- yeah, it's number eight on the on the old list. Yeah, uh, <laughs> moving on up, number seven, Ian, what do you got? Number seven, I have Najila. Okay, uh, so Najila, obviously, you know, a very strong deck in the format. Um, I, I've often described Najila as the Peak and Valley deck of CEDH, where <laughs> there will be periods of times where you know it it is almost free to show up and play Najila at a tournament, mm-hmm. right? It's like you will either top 16 or win the whole thing with this deck, right? And then there are periods of time when people like catch on to the deck, right? Or there's a new card printed. I don't know, like the one ringer or Orcish Bowmasters, hypothetically speaking, that <laughs> sort of take a hit to that deck, right? And then suddenly you get punished for not having card advantage in the man zone and people are playing to the board, right? Uh, and yeah, you can see where I'm going with this, right? So it's, it's, there are some times where it is, it is one of the best decks in the format. Uh, I think realistically in the front half of the year, Memo propped up the numbers for this deck quite a lot. Uh, obviously it's a deck Memo was very comfortable with, was playing a lot more tournaments than they are currently, um, earlier in the year. And 
Therefore, the deck got a pretty solid boost, right? Um, and nowadays, Memo's kind of been off the deck, and the deck's not really seeing as much play. Still puts up top results now and again, right? Um, still a deck that people should respect, right? Still a good five-color option uh, that turns on guardianship as early as turn one sometimes, right? So, like, mm-hmm. all of that stuff very real. At the same time, like, you play Bowmasters on Najila a couple times, and then suddenly uh, that part of the game plan is completely dead. Right. So now they can pivot to Turbo Nas, they can pivot to Breach, they can do all of the things that we know that, that the deck is capable of. But it doesn't mean that, you know, it, there aren't certain things that can that can sort of pack that. Right. So Najila, very solid list, but definitely is not without flaws. Yeah. I also have Najila at seven. It is a deck that I feel like uh, by all accounts should be in the top five. Uh, but is a deck that suffers greatly from the printing of Bowmasters and it really didn't see it recover after Bowmasters got printed. Mm-hmm. I thought it would. Uh, it had a little bit of a resurgence in November or not November in October and then November rolled around and December rolled around and December rolled around and it didn't even show up on the December stats. So like it, it's just like a deck that, that, like you said, has a lot of peaks and valleys. Uh, it's, uh, as Billy Joel would say, it goes to extremes. Uh, it's either too high or too low, and there's no in between. Uh, and if you know that song, I'm glad there are other Stormfront fans out there. But, uh, you know, it, it is a very good deck. I, I think that it being 9% of the yearly metagame speaks to how good it is overall. But I also think noticing that it was 9% and then dropped off dramatically at the end of the year mm-hmm. also speaks to how much of a hit Bowmasters was. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. Uh, that is why I have it at seven. Ryan, what do you have here at seven? My number seven is Kenrith. Okay. Kenrith, the return king. Uh, so uh, a lot of what you all said before about Kenrith, one of the things I do definitely want to touch on is while it is really good, you know, five color bowl of soup or whatever mm-hmm. we were calling it earlier. <laughs> I thought I we were calling it SpaghettiOs, right? Something. <laughs> yeah. For all you, all you connoisseurs out there, it's a soup. Yes, exactly. But it does. It suffers the, it suffers an identity problem in some aspects. That's good because when somebody flips over a Kenneth, you have no idea necessarily what they're bringing unless they are the pilot of that deck because you have things like Kenra stacks, mid range, uh, storm, uh, Druid, reanimator all these different types and stuff like that and each of those have their own little subsets you have kitten decks that are on kenrith and stuff like that Mm -hmm. and so i think there's a lot of advantages to having it but it's just so generic in the command zone as we said earlier that it can sometimes suffer an identity problem of what is i don't know maybe what i would call the best version of the deck because i just don't think there is Mm -hmm. um and because it can do anything the higher cost i know that we are in a jewel lotus world now so that's not as bad i don't harp on that as much but you don't frequently see a turn one kenrith and if you do see a turn one kenrith you don't usually see the turn one kenrith win the game um it's it's fine it's a good deck uh it can be built a lot of different ways which i think is a pro of it but like i said it also suffers the identity problem which is a con so it's kind of that two sides of the same coin kind of deal but yeah kenrith is my number seven it's hard to go wrong with five color soup. It uh, is. Ian, five color bowl. Five color your, bowl of goods. 
Ian, what is your number six? Number six, uh, I have, well, this might be one of the more controversial ones, but we, we've talked about this deck now a good amount on this channel, but I have Thrasios File Smasher on here. Oh, okay. Uh, you know, it is it is starting to do well in the second half of the year. I think it is pretty clearly a deck that is picking up momentum. There are several top 16s with it now, um, and that's pretty impressive given the lack of pilots on it, right? So I think, let me see, where did I... I found it on here earlier when I was looking at the decks for the year. Yeah, I was going to uh, say it didn't even make my my uh, meta. It did down. not make your cutoff for sure. So it's only yeah. been played. It is in that one percent of decks that is just a, yeah. a a a soup of decks. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's only been played twenty three times um, for the year, right? But given the fact that it kind of didn't wasn't even talked about right right uh for the first half of the year and now towards the tail end it's getting talked about it's, it's sort of earned that title that like i think ryan was sort of going for right and i wasn't using the original criteria um that the cal was talking about for, for these archetypes uh, i'm looking at where i feel archetypes are right now as we look at for this year going into the next year right so i would feel very confident bringing a thrasios file smasher deck to a tournament you know, it doesn't have enough results that I'm comfortable throwing it up in the top echelons of like what is being played right now. Um, but I would not be surprised to see into 2024 this deck starting to do quite well. And, and there's so many iterations, right? Like there's there's, you know, curiosity variants on this deck. There are more explosive ice concept lines. There are turbo Nas decks. There are, uh, you know, adjacent, you know, creature combo style decks, right? There's so many different ways that you can build this archetype like i literally was memeing the other day and looking at a dragonstorm version of this deck oh right like which is, you can do that because it can host a shell right so it, it, there's so many different ways that this partner combination can be built and i think this this sort of low to the ground lean uh you know 2023 version of Ch- canadian cheese rush which you know shout out to the ogs you know that version but uh, <laughs> it's the same deck that's just been iterated into the modern era right so right. yeah uh, you know me, I, I love Thrust File. This is a deck I'm a big fan of right now. Um, it did not make my top 10, but uh, my number six is Atraxa, Grand Unifier. Um, has, let me, let me, let me ask you, if I were to yeah. look at stats and tell you which deck you think had a 28% win percent. Don't look at the stats. Uh, which deck had a 28% per, uh, win percentage and which one had a 29% win, uh, win percentage between Atraxa and Rogsai? Which one do you think would have the better win percentage? Probably Rogsai. Yeah, well, it's it's Atraxa. Um, yeah. By one point. By one point, <laughs> sure. Uh, but like point. we said earlier, even two points is a big difference in CDA. It can so be, point, you're right. Point differences right. Uh, are substantial. Um, the other thing that is important to note is it also, like it pound for pound, uh, it uh, had the identical top 16 for conversion percentage to Rogsai. Here's the big difference, though. Uh, Atraxa had a better top four in tournament winning mm. uh, conversion percentage uh, with yeah. a conversion percentage into top fours of seven and a half compared to Rograx two and a one percent conversion percentage into the finals versus or winning the whole thing versus uh, Rogsai or excuse me, Atraxa had 13 yeah, it was 1.3 as opposed to Rograx 0.5%. Uh, 
Okay. So is this a pro attracts a talk or this is a pro attracts a talk? Well, and I, I'm saying this mostly because of the fact that Atraxa is a, a lot of people will tell you like, oh, Rogsai is the best at getting into top 16s. But mm-hmm. I if you look at it, it's just as good as Atraxa. And the reason I'm drawing that comparison is most people would think, myself included, that Rogsai is a better deck than Atraxa. However, I'm using data here to draw a comparison that mm-hmm. Atraxa is, once you get down into the nitty gritty of it, it's a, it is pound for pound just as good as Rogsai. And so for me, I put it right next to it uh i'm on it I'll, I'll spoil this for you my number five is rogsai and to me i have them there sharing that spot like mm-hmm. they are right hand in hand they are part of what i consider my mid-tier decks uh in these power rankings because they are the decks that are not quite good enough to push themselves and pull away uh st- statistically from the rest of the field but they are a good head and shoulders better than the rest of the average stuff that you see in the format. Uh, so I have Rogsai and Atraxa here kind of sharing this five, six spot uh, because to me, they're both like hand in hand, just as good as each other. Uh, the big difference here is that Atraxa does a bit, little bit better. And again, like we're, we're talking like, half a percentage point right uh mm-hmm. so it's not like substantially better but when you consider that like the average uh top four percent uh conversion rate is like five percent like half a percentage is huge right so right. It, that is one thing to keep in mind is that uh attracts a i have lower mostly because i think it's a clunkier deck but uh like if i had to choose a six a solid six and a five i'd probably put a row Rograk over it. Uh, but when you look at the stats, uh, Atraxa is better overall at converting like into tournament wins. Like, right. Yeah. Tournament so, wins. yeah. So, so Cal is sort of infamous at this point uh, in the Rogside community for, for their takes on this, this commander. But uh, the, the points being brought up are, are 100% correct, which is like yeah. Rogside is, is a great, I mean, it took over the Winota spot of like, Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm gonna make top cut with this deck, right? Yeah. Like it is, it is that deck now, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and s- given that, it, it it's very clear to see that like the deck has trouble when people are like, okay, yeah, the tournament's on the line. I'm not gonna lose to the same gimmicks that I might lose to in the Swiss, right? right. Like I can afford the loss here if I go push my own game plan more proactively. Um, and and that's interesting to think about, right? And it also just maybe that it has a bad matchup against the other good decks in the format, right. right? Like other other top decks have an easier way to dismantle Rogsai. And I think that's pretty pretty clear given the numbers and if you look at the context of those decks a little bit. But that being said, you want to convert, you play Rogsai, right? Yeah. Which is also or why it is it's mine. Yeah. Because it, it, it's also my they do just as well reason. as each other. Yeah. <laughs> um. yeah. Yeah. I I it's interesting that that the the attracts a variant. But also like I, I will point out, like Rogsai uh has a group of players who like know how to play it very well yes. and they do well with the deck consistently, right? We'll say Atrax is very much the same, uh, but spread out more so, right? Whereas like I I think newer players can pick up Atrax and still do pretty decently with it, right? Um but I think a very skill, like a, has a yeah, high skill for it. It is a very skill intensive list for sure. And I think that's pretty, pretty easy to argue. Yeah. Um 
That being said, I also know many, many very good ROG side pilots who still are failing to convert in the current metagame. So like that's that's something interesting to think about as well. Yeah. Right? And, mm-hmm. and everybody's gonna gonna say that I'm shitting on Rog side. I just wanted to be clear. I have that at number five. So like let's just it's it's your redemption arc, is what it is. <laughs> you, you spend the whole year dogging on it and be like, all right, it's about halfway up. That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean basically I, I'm I'm just being I, I this is the thing is people don't like truth. People want to live in their little fantasy oh, world. Okay, here we go. Where, uh, <laughs> here we go, folks. People yeah, look, I'm really a conduit for the numbers. I, I'm just a conduit of <laughs> yes. I am just impartial. Uh, yeah. I, I am I am but a vessel in I'm which to hear the word, word, everyone. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm just conduit. the interpreter of the facts. Uh, <laughs> and the facts <laughs> don't care about your feelings, wrong side players. Feelings about wrong side, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well that's enough for me on my number six and number five ryan what do you got at six my number six is sisse weatherlight captain right. um I, in 2022 this deck kind of hovered in the lower echelons and stuff like that and people were on you know like the planeswalker kind of thing and the planeswalker combos and it did some stuff and it was cool and it was neat but not a lot of people took it seriously yeah and then people started to put up numbers with it and we and started to be able to re- took it seriously. <laughs> yeah. And then all of a sudden they're like, Oh wait, this is actually not too bad after all. How about that? And then it started to evolve into the, Hey, this isn't just a funny little planeswalker fetcher. This can also fetch c- creature combos too, that are also really good. And it was getting that boost because more people, since it got that attention, started to see other brews formulate from it. And it doesn't suffer the identity problem like Kenrith does, right. but you, whenever there's a Sisse activation on the stack, you if don't touch. always necessarily know what it's going to get. And mm-hmm. that's usually when you kind of find out what line it's pivoted on. Is it on the planeswalker side or is it on the, you know, more creature size. Just don't let it get the, the activation, guys. Yep. It's, it's just and don't let it activate. That's why it's also not higher on the list. It's kind of suffers. Maybe not the Winota problem in the frame that you are all saying, but I've always coined it as the Winota problem that if you have a scary commander, just kill the commander. A lot of times the deck struggles a lot. Sisse, I feel that kind of has this problem because if you just don't let Sisse resolve, all of a sudden there's these cards that are a lot harder to get onto the battlefield in the right mm-hmm. sequencing in order to make it work. Kind of like a weird Hulk pile when you have two of the pieces in your hand. You're like, now what am I doing? You know, Sisse suffers that problem a little bit. It's still a good deck, and I love that it's evolving because you can fetch any legendary. God knows they're printing a lot mm-hmm. of those. And so I really like Sisse a lot. Um, it's it's number six on the list. You know, it's just below the top five. Um, and I think that it still has a long way to go. I think there's still a lot of really good brewing space that can be done here because every single set release, we're getting dozens of legendaries, it seems. Right. And, mm-hmm. and every one of those can be tutored up with Sisse and Sisse is going to you know grow and evolve with everything. And so I think 2024 is going to I'm not going to say it's going to be the year of Sisse, but I think we're going to see a lot of changes in this commander. So, yep. Number six is where she falls. <laughs> I have a lot to say about this commander, but I'll save it for later. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Uh, Ryan, since uh, Ian and I have already gone our number five, what do you have here at number five? Tevish Krom. Tevish Krom, Tevish Krom right. is my number five. Um, I 
I was an early adopter of this partner pair, mm-hmm. uh, actually, because I really didn't like Rogsai when it was first being played. <laughs> this is back in like 2022 and stuff, to be fair. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I piloted Rogsai because I, you know, I needed a, a Grixis deck in my repertoire and I hated Rogsai. I didn't like how it played. It was a little bit more fragile then, you know, very, very all in, got mm-hmm. interacted with once you're kind of out of the game. I know it's not that now, but back in early 2022 is when I was trying it. Mm-hmm. Um, picked up Tevish Krom and I was like, wow, this thing has such grind potential. And everyone's like, well, why don't you just play Timnacrom, you know, the mm-hmm. classic blue farm. You get white cards and stuff like that. Be like, well, now you're going to be playing certain things that really need to lean into the oh, I'm sorry, that can lean into the Timna plan. Right. And so sometimes you're running creatures and I, you just don't have that problem with Tevish Krom. You can go all in on kitten and things like that. And you don't have to be like, well, I want to I want to have some good attackers for Timna. So I'm going to sacrifice, you know, maybe a card or slot to card slot here or there for that. And Tevish Krom allows you to grind really really well in a mid-range plan uh, i i absolutely loved it uh i basically picked it up uh when kitten was spoiled and just saw its power because you have two inevitable pieces right in the command zone they are more expensive so it's obviously not roger silas but the idea that i can get out the five mana tevish have it protect itself and start drawing cards or the five mana crom and start drawing cards and be able to swing with them or if you're really grinding the game long have the ability to test all uh Tevish ultimate, which yeah. is rare, but when it happens, the game's if over. If you've ever had a Tevish ultimate against you, you will never let it happen to you again because Correct. it happens once and then you are scarred for life. You're like, <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. What happened? Like, this is insane. I and had someone I was I'm coaching who was like, oh yeah, I, I think I ultimate Tevish every game. And I was like, I've literally never done that. <laughs> Please tell me what playgroup you're in because I want to play in the playgroup. Yeah, like, every that. other pilot I've talked to has been like, no, I've never done that either. What, it's what rare. better are they playing? <laughs> it's rare. I've done it twice. It yeah, felt great, right. by the way. It felt so good. But it's like you were already winning that game anyway. Yeah. yeah. If yeah. if you're ulting Tavish, you're winning the game regardless. Yeah. Uh, it's I, I can see why it puts up the numbers because a lot of people like 10 mana value in the command zone. That's not a real deck. Be like, well, let's see what happens. And they're like, oh wow, that yeah. it, it, I mean, just if you got your hand disrupted, didn't matter because Tevish and Krom mm-hmm. there, all of a sudden you're in the game and you've got six cards in hand in a turn cycle and you're like, what happened? Mm-hmm. And just has that ability to grind so well. Playing mm-hmm. it as a turbo deck, I think, was a lot of people's problem in the early days of it or the early mm-hmm. iterations of it. At least at least I thought so, because mm-hmm. everyone was trying to play it turbo. Right, they like, it's Grixis. It's Grixis. <laughs> so you must play it turbo. <laughs> And they're like, oh, 10 mana value in the command zone. Maybe maybe a yep. mid-range plan might be Not, better. And it and it thrives. This is the thing that plan. drives me nuts about that mentality in CEDH is that if you look at like other like eternal formats, like I, I've been playing a lot of timeless recently, right? Mm-hmm. Like Grixis is like the best de facto mid-range color mm-hmm. pairing by mm-hmm. like a yeah. wide margin in it. Yeah. Oppressively good at what it does. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think once people kind of got away from the idea that Grixis can only be turbo Mm -hmm. and really leaned hard into it with Tevish Krom, it really bloomed. It really came to life. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I will say also like Grixis is uh, in, in a one V one space has a lot more upsides at the control mid range things, right? Think about your thought seizes Mm -hmm. and your Mm -hmm. Delvers and like things like that. They're they're a lot more attractive in a one V one space. Right. Yes. Um, 
that that being said, that's a little pedantry. Uh, yeah, this this deck grinds super well. I, I think so. And yeah. then I believe my number four is next, right? Correct. Is yes. Great. So I'm talking about Tevish Krom. Oh my gosh. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, so Cal did bring up a great point about the numbers earlier, breaking all that shit down. Um, but like the numbers are really solid, right? Uh, and I they're think the best you know, numbers I, of any deck from the year, like yeah. by a mile. And there's a, mm-hmm. there's a giant asterisk next to it, right? right? Which is like most of these performances are by Sharky very early on, right? It has done very, very well with the deck, yep. um, plays it quite well, right? And then I picked up the deck and top 16 with it and won a tournament with it, right? And like that's my two entries with it, right? So obviously it boosts the numbers, right? right. Um, but I, I will also say I picked up the archetype because of how well it did at the Mox Masters Invitational, right? With because or not the the open, I should say, yeah, open, right? Yeah. It would like Tavesh like three slotted the top sixteen. And I was like, okay, this is like a real thing that's happening. And I was watching other people play it and doing quite well with it. Actually, one of my uh one of my patrons as well was doing uh, I played against them at um the the redemption event at uh the first Atlanta event, the CCS top deck series tournament, right? Um and I was like, oh, OK, like this is it, the deck just like played a bunch of value engines, did everything I want to do and just drew a bunch of cards. And then mm-hmm. I was like, OK, I win now. And I was right. like, well, I want to draw cards and win. That seems fun. <laughs> 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 so like, I don't know. It's just it. the deck has felt really, really solid. Obviously, like I'm, I'm very biased towards this archetype. Right. I, I've done very well with it and it's felt very strong when I played it. But, you know, uh, the first tournament I took it to, I went uh, at, I mean, I had the best record of the Swiss, right? And then went and lost in top 16. And then the next one I won, right? So, like, I, obviously, I'm feeling very confident with the deck in general, right? It is very powerful, very explosive, yeah. very strong, and very consistent. Um, and it has the thing that most good decks need right now, which is the ability to pivot, right? Mm-hmm. The, the, the ability to go, this is a slow game. I'm going to be in the slow game section of the game. And then, okay, oh, I got to win now. Uh, jam that final fortune into my defense grid and then go for the win on my next turn, right? And yep. like the, the ability 20, to have both of these things. 2024 is, is going Wrong. to be the year of Ross yelling pivot, I feel like. Just, <laughs> how do you win <laughs> yes. CEDH tournaments? Pivot! <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's it's a great deck. I, yeah. I think a lot of people slept on Tevish when it was first yeah. released. Yeah. They're like, eh, and then people are realizing it's raw card draw power mm-hmm. and the fact that it was a planeswalker and stuff like that. Yeah. I think that helped a lot. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. my biggest issue with Tevish is just that I so I, I've had the really unique uh like experience to see this card's like full life cycle uh which was it not get talked about anybody when it was spoiled we, we didn't even mm-hmm. talk about it on our set review and then mm-hmm. yeah it was Rebel a 50 cent did rare. A deck yeah. with it and then people are like oh this is cool and then cobblepot mm-hmm. did some stuff with it and then more people did like some wacky shit with it and then people got really high on it and then fell off of it and then for a while, people were just kind of like, eh, it's not that good. And then people kind of got really high on it there for a hot minute. And then people kind of mm-hmm. came back down to earth again. And I feel like we have finally reached parity on the evaluation mm-hmm. of this card, which is that yeah, it's pretty good. Like, <laughs> like that's that's the evaluation of the card. It's it's pretty good. Um, and I don't know that I think it is like. I, I think this deck has the potential to be the best deck in the format. Um, again, like I said earlier, it's very hard for me to call it that based on the numbers because like, 
if I because if I just look at the win percentage and the conversion, right, it's better than everything else. But then if I look at Mm -hmm. the entries, then it just like, oh, well, that changes everything. Right. Uh, But it also speaks to the fact that it can have low numbers and also still have a high number of results, which not every deck can say. So that is. And the other thing is, too, Ian, you're a great player, but not every deck that you pick up for the first time do you make a top 16 with. So Mm -hmm. it is it says a lot about a deck that multiple people can pick it up and immediately do really well with it. Mm -hmm. And I think that is part of why I think this has the biggest ceiling of any Mm -hmm. deck for this coming Mm -hmm. year. Um, With that being said, my number four for the year is Sisse Weatherlight Captain. Uh, Sisse had a really big coming out party uh, that was not at all small. Like uh, Ian helped facilitate that in a uh, definitely noticeable way, I feel like. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the thing about this deck is, is we talked about this earlier, where if you don't let it get the activation, then it's kind of crippled, but not in the same way that I think a deck like, you know, uh, like Winota is like we called it the Winota problem, but mm-hmm. Sisse has the unique advantage of being in five colors where yes. it's like, okay, sure. That's mm-hmm. fine. And it's also three mana. So it's like not that hard to get back out. Yeah, you also don't need Sisse until you need Sisse. Exactly. That's the other thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like one of the best mistakes you can make as a Sisse pilot is just being like, okay, I'll play Sisse super early with no context. And people <laughs> like, one Sisse off a jewel Lotus pad. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> The other thing about it, though, is it has a little bit of that Atraxa vibe to it where people, you know how we were talking about earlier with Atraxa where people would be like, yeah, I can help. It has a little bit of that parasitic nature where it's like, I can help. I just need this Atraxa hit where my experience with Sisse has been the Sisse player would be, I'm a I can help but you got to get rid of your op agent so that I can search. And that should immediately be your first red flag that they're about to win the game. Like I've literally never gotten away with that. But if, if there are Sissé <laughs> pilots out there who've gotten away with that, good for you. Because that is, that is the biggest line of, of actual dookie that I've ever heard. Listen, <laughs> I, I have explained the, my, my horror story of this deck to you multiple times yes. on the show. Yeah. If you haven't heard it, you can listen to this podcast. All I'm going to say is if you're in fucking turns, you don't need to let the Sisse player go get a Sisse activation, especially when at the end of that turn, the game just ends in a draw. Anyway, um, but yeah, my my number four deck for the year, Sisse Weatherlight Captain, keep it up, Sisse Pilots, you're doing great. You mm-hmm. uh, continue to have one of the better conversion rates across mm-hmm. all three of my conversion metrics of any deck, so keep it up. Also, uh, one of the best words I gotta say. They're, it's such a wholesome Discord. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, <laughs> like I mm-hmm. love that Discord. <laughs> you can't say that about I, many Discords, but I was about yeah, to say I tend literally. to stay out of like yeah. Brew Central Discords for that reason. They kind of become a little bit inbred. Yes, and they just yeah they kind of fall over because of it. That's another conversation though. Uh, Ryan, what do you have for your number four? Rogsa is my number four. Okay. Uh, what what's been said that hasn't been said already. It's it's <laughs> it's a really great turbo deck, and uh, the Rogsai pilots have been evolving it over mm-hmm. this last year. It is becoming a little bit more resilient. It can kind of if it if and when it falls over, it mm-hmm. can stand back up a lot easier than it used to. Uh, yep. And that, I think that just came from a pivot in the lines. 
mm-hmm. even more so than just, you know, a pivot in the cards. Uh, yeah. Just the idea of tutoring for heuristic study before you tutor for your adnos right. allows you to get a much better metric and just... It- and yeah. you know, it's so funny. You said that in my first instinct was to be like, well, no, I feel like the deck hasn't changed that much, but I'm thinking about the past two and a half months. Right. And like, that's yep. like, if you look at the greater context of the year, right, the deck has changed a lot. Right. Like, I mean, even, even sort of this notion of like Bryant cook being the person who is like pushing for a lot of these changes. And now it's mm-hmm. kind of like, I feel like Zane is like responsible for a lot of the innovations happening yes. in dark type. Cause he's been the one doing the best with the deck and on a mm-hmm. consistent tournament level. I mean, he's um, the only one who got a tournament one with it this year. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. yeah. And that's definitely like, you know, I, I think Zane said something on Twitter a little while ago where he was like, yeah, I'm going to be mostly focusing on TO and casting uh, for, for a little while. And I was like, oh, man, Rockside's bad again. <laughs> oh, Rockside dropped out of the top 25. Yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is obviously hyperbole to other good Rockside pilots out of course, there, to be clear. But um, no, I mean, it's, it's, it's a deck that's like had a lot of good stuff happen to it. As I said, hmm. I feel like the past couple months, it's it's staled out a little bit. And, you know, I mean, they not playing. It might be a little bit of a, a little <laughs> something for that conversation. But I, I do think it's... um. It's, it's had some like big shifts in mm-hmm. in ideas and in methodologies throughout the year. And I think it's hitting a bit of a, a plateau at the current moment. Yeah. So I'm interested, as I mentioned kind of earlier, to like see what the next phase for this archetype is, because I don't think the same gimmick is working right now. Yeah, I yeah. Think, uh, yeah. It, the, the cat's out of the bag here. on all yeah. in turbo yeah, yeah. and everyone just those will stop you. And mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. when you've pivoted to more of a mid range plan and right. they see a, a heads a face up tutor being not ad nauseum or something yeah. like that, they're like, oh, what's going on? And yeah, it's it has the ability to fight a lot better at the tables because they yeah. know that everyone targets the rug side player. So they had to pivot their strategies and it's doing very well as a result. Maybe not in the overall conversions, like you said, Cal, but um, I mean, a lot like, of pilots are on top 16s like almost better than any other deck exactly the the difference is and i think ian did a really good job of like encapsulating this is i think where rogside struggles is is that rogside doesn't get away with as much when you get into these winner take all scenarios because you're you're just your opponent like quality just skyrockets so you don't get to get away with one player at the table being a complete Mm -hmm. numbskull as much so (laughs) sending their op agent to assist a activation in turns for example i I thought i was going to jump through my computer screen um my uh ian what do you have here at number three who in the top three now now it's now it's all 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 big now I'm going to I'm going to get farther away so I can yell this one. 2023 was the year of Sisse. OK, now I'm back. All right. <laughs> uh, so Sisse is my number three. Um, you know, it's uh, I've if you've been watching these breakdowns throughout 2023, you know, what my number two and number one are probably going to be. Um, but let's talk about Sisse, right? Because I often keep it around the five, the four, the six uh, of this breakdown, all mm-hmm. these things. Right. But. My God, do people keep surprising me with what they can do with Sisse, right? Like we just, just had a tournament that had a Sisse Underworld Breach package that wasn't even using LED, but it was that, using that like was a, such a cool maybe, deck. When I saw yeah. you, when I was editing that video, I was like, that's fucking cool. Yeah. <laughs> and then the, the innovation of like five mana flash to fairy is like that that's something that's lived rent free in my head since I saw that the other day. Mm-hmm. And there's all of these things that people are doing right now with this archetype that are just pushing boundaries. And because of the way the nature of that deck works, because it just needs legendaries, because they mm-hmm. print cards like Kutsil and that completely <laughs> give the deck the biggest boost and in injection it's ever gotten, right? 
they keep doing this stuff. So why, <laughs> why wouldn't Sensei yeah. Pilots keep getting rewarded for it, right? Yep. The deck is meant to continually be getting these benefits. Like, I literally was uh, in a coaching session with somebody who made a Zerda version of Sisei that was all about going and getting Agatha's Soul Cauldron and using a ton of colorless mana to be more explosive than the average Sisei deck, right? And it was ridiculous, but it worked. And like that was just an extreme example of something you can do with this deck, right? And it's a Rube Goldberg machine deck. Right. But if something like that is possible, then like that, that is explaining so much about how powerful this commander is. Right. But, uh, you know, the last Mox Masters, four of the top 16 were Sisei decks, including the winning deck. I was about to say two of the top four were yeah. Sisei decks. Yeah. <laughs> Literally yeah. half the top four. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, uh, so like, yes, uh, Cal mentioned, you know, uh, I definitely think there was a, a popularization of the deck that happened because of my deep run with it uh, at the chaos tournament. Right. So I, I think it was, I mean, you put Malcolm, a lot of eyes I, on it. I put eyes on it, right? Like I, I will not claim to be an innovator of Sisse, right? I, I, I owe a lot to uh, Mike from the howling salt mine who I borrowed his Sisse list and said, Hey, it feels like the planeswalker lines would be cleaner in this deck than anything you're doing in here. And he'd be like, huh? Yeah, I guess probably, huh? And I was like, I showed him like three or four times when I brought his deck. I was like, I think I would have won if you had the Planeswalkers in here. And I did that like another two times in a row. And he was like, okay, I'll put him in. Fine, fine, fine. But then that got me itching to like look at this deck. Malcolm was already a player I respected a lot who had been like repping Sissé for a long time. And I was like, wow, Malcolm's been actually like putting in like this deck starts to look way more real than it's ever done before. Right. So the combination of the two of them, Malcolm making these deep runs with a deck when no one had been doing it for a while, combined with, you know, picking up this steam of like having seen it in a local scene. I was like, okay, like, let's let's pick this deck up i played it uh top forward with the first tournament i played it at right it felt very solid especially when people didn't know the lines right so that was a tournament where i was able to take advantage of a lack of information about the archetype right, right. and then i you know uh, did very well with it in my local scene i like went undefeated on a day where i just like it was like a you know a play for a dual land kind of thing it's like every single thing you played for like a certain master credit right uh and i played and i won and i won and i won and i won and i was like oh my god this deck's crazy right um <laughs> And then suddenly it was everybody's on Sissy, right? And everyone's bringing it, everyone's showing up, everyone's representing it. But you can play in so many diverse and different ways. Like I've done Mm -hmm. so many coaching sessions on this deck lately. And I'm like, oh, okay, this person's playing the heavy four drop variant. This person's playing the one ring variant. Like this person's playing crazy shit like Breach, right? Like it doesn't, it's not a deck that's limited. And it went from, and and we talked about this as far like the context of of the course of the year, right? Like this deck just picked up right before Lord of the Rings. So it missed the first half of the year as far as results, except mm-hmm. for Malcolm's like one punt city two result, mm-hmm. right? It was completely off the radar. And then suddenly it's showing up a ton. And now we're ending the year with this Mox Masters overrepresentation of once again, a quarter of the top 16, half of the top four and winning the tournament. Yeah. So I think this is just like a, been a clear culmination of Sisse just picking up this momentum, yep. rolling downhill, just like picking up more and more wins as the year goes on. And, I, and the deck still has so much more it can do. And as Ryan mentioned, like commanders taking up a design philosophy in wizards printing nowadays. Right. So right. like mm-hmm. there's not going to be a lack of legendary permanents that are coming out. Right. We, you know, adding were, cards from Doctor Who and Ixalan yep, and like all of these things. Like 486 printed this year. Legendaries right. that could be fetchable with Sisse. Next year's going to be the same half a thing. thousand legends. Exactly. <laughs> we're talking nearly 500 cards that were tools that Sisse could technically use. Yeah. Next year's going to be the same. Yeah. We know it is. Yeah. So it's yeah. only going to get better every single year. Completely agree. Completely agree. 
So that's that's my tirade on SSA. I said I had a lot to say later, and there it is. There you go. Well, moving on up to my number three pick for the year is uh, this is where I put Tim Necrom. No, I, it's uh, <laughs> this is where I have uh, Tivit Seller of Secrets. Um, to the shock and awe of nobody exactly two people yeah <laughs> um, not here not on this call out there to the uh performed exceptionally well this year overall uh backslid a little bit towards the end of the year but i think that was less of an issue with the like commander and more of just a need to maybe adapt uh, the game plan a little bit, like I said earlier, to be a little bit less chunky, be able to turn the corner a little bit better in this faster meta game where the time, the round limits just keep going down. So uh, need to uh, adjust just a little bit. But overall, like the deck is still like even as recently as like November and in December, it has top results. So like it's still doing well. Uh, and I it is a deck that overall I feel confident in. This is also now we're kind of in the range of the decks that make up like nine plus percent of the metagame. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, this is a deck that a lot of people are on and, and we're on. And I think just continues to have like a pretty decent win percentage. It's not the best, uh, but, you know. 27% isn't bad. So, mm-hmm. uh has a really reasonable conversion percentage, 23% and uh pretty oh, it does it does a lot better of converting once it's in the top 16 uh than a lot of other decks. Uh so that is one advantage to the list, but uh overall big fan of Tivit if you were not aware of that already. Welcome to the Mind Sculptors. My name is Callahan. And, Please hit that uh, subscribe button. Yeah, hit the like and <laughs> this subscribe is, this button. This is obviously your first time here. Thank you for uh, checking out the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, I'm a big fan. Tivit's been uh, in my top five for a while. So I don't see that changing anytime soon unless it does, unless all of a sudden it just becomes straight up unplayable and i don't know that that is gonna happen so uh with that being said ryan what do you have here at number three my number three is kenan bonder prodigy okay yeah makes sense um oh gosh what what can i say about this deck basically (sighs) this has got to be one of the most casual to cdh converting decks i've seen Mm -hmm. in the history that i've been playing cdh you know when you talk to the casual commander crowds trying to get them into cdh people are talking about combos and they're talking about partner pairs and they're talking about all this stuff and they're like "Uh, it sounds like i don't know if that's my vibe and then all of a sudden you talk about kennan and you're like hey do you like to ramp (laughs) <laughs> do i ever hey do you like big stupid creatures hey, do you like really big stupid creatures that win the game hey yeah. i do i do like that be like do i have a deck for you that actually puts up really good numbers yeah and kinnon is the one and the thing is is that what i love about kinnon is not only just that but it has two other things one it is 
newbie friendly, but has mm-hmm. a really good high skill ceiling. So it grows as you grow as a CDH Absolutely. player. Yeah. So you feel like you're you're leveling up and the deck is leveling up with you versus some other decks that are a little bit maybe more newbie friendly, but their ceiling isn't as high and you feel like you outgrow it. So there's a big plateau there and you don't always know why. Whereas Kinnan allows you to have that growth. And number two, it is one of the most pet card friendly decks I've ever seen. Oh man, I've always loved this big, stupid, whatever. And, you know, be like, <laughs> you can put it in there if you want. I'm not going to say that it's always going to single handedly. Perplexing win you the Chimera game. really is a pet card when you really play exactly. it down. Perplexing Chimera or just, you know, Terastodon. Thank you. I just want to, I was going to be quiet for the Kinnon section and let talk about Kinnon later, but my God, the perplexed chimera is a, is a plight on our society. You know, if I have to teach a new player and, and ask them politely to cut it, if they don't know how to play it one more oh, time. Yes. Yes. <laughs> but so like, so I, that's what I love about Kinnon and it just puts up good numbers. I mean, yeah. so that on top of the fact that it has all these different really good access points to the format, which is what I love. And just like how we talked about legendaries were printed, uh, yep. 317 new non-humans were printed this year. Mm-hmm. So the other thing is new- though too though, it doesn't even matter that because it just makes so much goddamn mana. Who cares? Yeah, right? Like exactly. It just it, it doesn't matter. Like you put you could put it like a fucking Dodge Ram in that. It would do uh, just as well. <laughs> exactly. And so like yeah. non non-humans, there were 317 printed this year. I'm not saying every one of them going to Kenan, but like so that means that this deck is never going to kind of stay is going to get too stagnant because there's always yeah. going to be the Timmy cards that get released that could see really good play in Kennen. Yeah. And yeah. that's why I think Kennen is fantastic. So top three for me. Super valid points. Another, yeah, hey, Ian. another very good card come out this year for the archetype, but we can talk about that when we talk yeah, about it. Ian, uh, <laughs> I think it's pretty safe to say you and I have the same number two and number one. Do we? Maybe. Mm. What's your number two? No. My number two is Blue Farm. It's Timnacrom. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Why do you have Timnacrom here? Uh, because Timnacrom is arguably the best deck in the format, but Kinnon's better. <laughs> uh, we'll talk about that later. But Blue Farm is uh, obviously insane. Like, it's obviously a very good deck, right? Um, you know, whereas Tevesh Krom, I could see like maybe needing a little bit of work, meaning, you know, being one less color, all of that stuff. Timnacrom is definitive for our format right it is a very strong archetype it is hard to argue with and uh it was doing fine until 2023 happened and you you have a fun little set called lord of the rings and suddenly it's the best deck in the format i think lord of the rings was the best thing to happen to this deck i think it took it from an a tier deck to a deck that i would argue is not the best deck in the format to a deck I will happily argue is the best or one of the two up two best decks in the format. Um, Bowmasters, we all thought it would hit Timna. <laughs> what it did was it murdered anything that competed with Timna in the freaking format. Yep. Anything that was an inconvenience for Blue Farm <laughs> got sniped out of this format mm-hmm. and left this big open fucking space for Blue Farm to just do whatever it wanted. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's absolutely insane. They were like, hey, remember how we have these cards like Notion Thief and stuff like that that'll punish you for sitting behind a crom? Well, guess what? 
they're out of here. Blue Farm, Fuck do whatever. You. The you want. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> Nobody else matters. Blue Farm, you have a great time, buddy. You 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 go do whatever you want. You got four colors in there. Great. You hey, want breach? Sure. Hey, you got buddy, Thorpe, And if you want to play that, if you want to play that notion, yeah. thief, go for yeah. it, baby. Who cares? You mm-hmm. got an Orcish Bootmasters yourself. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh my god, that's that's the other thing is like the one card that like stops the deck is Bowmasters. But you know what, Blue Farm's really good at playing fucking Bowmasters. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know what stops bowmasters? A bowmasters. Another. That's bow kind masters. of the issue with that card, right? I think we've talked about that yeah, before. Right. It's like the issue with bowmasters is the 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 best answer the for bowmasters is another bowmasters. Yes. Yeah, but it's yeah. I don't know. Blue, Blue farm is just so uninhibited. The play patterns that the deck already was thriving with then became definitive for the format. Right? Yeah, like, mm-hmm. uh, hiding behind your Ristic, hiding behind your Crom, hiding behind your Smothering Tithe. Those are all things you can do in Blue Farm, and it's it's stuff that is so good with this deck, right? And it's like, okay, I talked about Pivot earlier. Great. You know what you have in the deck that allows you to quickly transition from defending to winning? Uncounterable Grand Abolishers, Ranger Captain of Eos, uh, Final Fortune, like all of these cards that are so good in this archetype, right? Or, or Teferi, Three Minutes Teferi. I, right. I talked about that being one of the best cards in the archetype, right? And then if you go to cast your Grand Abolisher and it gets countered, you go... Oh no, I guess I'll have to, I don't know, go to combat. <laughs> and <draw some> <laughs> oh, you said that wrong, Ian. It's, you, you said that wrong. It's Crombat. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. But then you get all the cards you just wasted, and you're like, wow, that was a really solid win attempt. The next person, you should go for it. So by the time that it gets back to me, everyone's using the interaction, and I've refilled because I have a Crom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like what oh my god anyways this, this is the year end i feel like i could be the most dramatic version in describing how <laughs> this deck just got the biggest booster shot this year it's insane like rule of laws were murdered by bowmasters in one mm-hmm. ring and stuff like that and and tim necrom was just like oh well if you want to if you want to kill all the things that are stopping me i, I will never stop you from doing that <laughs> <laughs> you guys just go on right ahead guys have, ridiculous. have a good time <laughs> <laughs> yeah, have a good time, everybody. I'll be over here drawing cards with Crom. Oh, it, it, do you mind if I just sneak this Grand Abolisher in? Is that okay, everyone? <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, uh, Tim Necrom, very good. Uh, my number two is Kin and Bonder Prodigy. Um, you know, a lot of what you said, Ryan, I think it's true. I think uh, when you look at the stats, uh, it is the definitive number two deck. Uh, it is, you know... I don't know how much else to say about it. It is missing one tournament when on my stats, just because of the fact that, you know, uh, Monarch didn't get uh, into the uh, this list because it wasn't on what's it called? Top 16. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it, it's pretty easy to look at this and look at the deck and go, oh, hey, wow, this has one of the best top 16 uh, conversion rates oh this has one of the best top four conversion rates oh would you look at that it has one of the best top or tournament winning conversion rates and it's just it's very consistent i think the biggest pit of the deck is that because it is played by a lot of new players it eats into its overall win mm-hmm. percentage and so its Absolutely. overall win percentage looks a lot worse than what yep. the deck's like actual quality is so like it's sporting a 26 percent win percentage which Mm -hmm. is like noticeably worse than a lot of the other uh like decks around it up in this area the big like 
but that is the contextual thing. We talked about this with right. uh, Tim Nacrom before, right? Where there was a period of time where Tim Nacrom was really struggling because a lot of new players were playing it and they weren't playing it right and it was doing all this stuff wrong. Um, Kinnon has that, but then it just still fucking converts. Yeah. So, like, it does it really matter for this deck? Yeah. So, it, it's one of those things where I think it's really important to kind of keep that in mind, yeah. but it also has, I like half the games played on the year that Tim Nacrom has, which yeah. is bananas considering yeah. that it had like 1500 games played in the year. <laughs> so yeah. I, I will also say, I want to throw it out that, that, that like, uh, you know, not only is like all of those like stats are like, super important for this deck. Right. But like, if you look at wounded satellite, who is like, obviously the most consistent Kinnon player right. of the year, right? Like, like Kinnon is my top deck of the year and I have a ton of results with it. Right. But like wounded is obviously here every tournament playing the same deck doing quite well with it. Right. right. Um, he's also gone on record this year and saying, wow, it's amazing how much my draws hurt my win percent. Right. Uh, and, and because he like was one of the people this year pushing for what I've been calling draw gate, right? Which is, you know, th that period of time where everyone was hitting that two wins early on mm -hmm. and then just drawing out so they could just lock the top 16 slot, mm -hmm. right? Um, now, a lot more players are resistant to that, I've noticed lately. A lot more players are playing it out. A lot more players are fighting over the top 16 slots. A lot more players are fighting for, uh, you know, hitting those, those caps, but a little bit later in the tournament, right? So those things aren't happening as much as they were earlier in the year, right? But if you look at, you know, once again, Max's performance with this deck where he's been, you know, hitting the necessary wins and then drawing out, that suddenly starts to look at those numbers that are like the lower win percentages, like, yes, but also look how many draws are on the archetype and how much those are like, yeah, I get my wins, but I only get as many necessary wins as possible. Whereas I know other players will just play it out no matter what, right? Yeah, the draws are about like, I, I don't know that they're that much bigger then like yeah. it, it's pretty much right in line with the mm -hmm. rest of the decks in that area like Najila, very similar win percentage win loss rate mm -hmm. uh win loss draw tivit very similar sise very similarly proportioned mm -hmm. uh sise has the one advantage though where it does have like a two percentage point or two and a half better win percentage so it's just like it, it's i will yeah. break this stuff down in detail yeah. in the like i, I will also analysis. say like, to, to look at those decks and think about how many of them are decks that are naturally more likely to hit a drawing point in the game right. than kinnon is right exactly kinnon is much faster than those decks so the fact that it has a comparable amount of draws i think is indicative i think that's the pattern yep. that i'm talking about right uh ryan what's your number two deck Blue Farm. <clears throat> you have to go to it, number one, right? I of course it is. <laughs> oh, God damn it! Was this even a, like? Was that even like even a question? Of course it's 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 number zero. It goes above number one. <laughs> oh, everyone thought they knew what my number one was gonna be. You got me. You got me. Right? <laughs> my number two is Tim Necrom for all the reasons you just said. Yeah, basically, yeah. there's that. It's great deck fantastic deck uh bowmasters really just shot into the stratosphere yeah. i have i have opinions on bowmasters which we'll get into in just a smidge but like um yeah tim necrom great deck yep. we we know what it does we've already talked about it that's my mm -hmm. number two so tim yep. necrom is my number one and i'm gonna i'm gonna really like talk about it here for a second because there's some really like like jarringly big stats with this deck that I think is very important to talk about because it is extraordinarily unique. 
Mm-hmm. Um, it is the only deck in the format that had double digits percentage meta share. So it was 14.25% of the meta game in 2023. That is alarmingly large. Um, it had 480 total entries for the year. That is uh, about 200 more than the second place, which is Kinnon. It's like just shy, or it's 180 more than Kinnon. That is a lot. Uh, here's the other Here's the other uh, thing to keep in mind. 122 top 16s for the year. That's 25 and a half percentage points just getting into top 16. Then you get into top four, 43 top fours. That's a 9% uh, conversion rate. The only deck with a better conversion rate in top four is Tevish Krom. The t- tournament wins this year, 13 fucking tournament wins uh, with a conversion percentage in that tournament percentage of 3%. Again, the only deck that did better than that was Tevish Krom, which had a conversion percentage of seven, which is just again we've talked about why that number is different and why there is context behind that but when you compare it to the other stuff in the format and you look at the next closest deck which is Najila, which is at two and a half conversion into tournament wins and then it's steeply dropped off uh at the end of the year this deck is head and shoulders the best deck in the format and i don't know that it is particularly close it is just so much better than everything else. It like, I think uh, really what you said, Ian is a great way of putting it is uh, bow masters in the one ring made this deck, the defecto best deck. Um, and I'd like to see a deck that can compete with it, but I mean, overall, like this is the best deck. It's going to see these amount of numbers. And unfortunately, that means there's not a lot of parity. So, you know, yep. that is a thing. And but yep. So and there this is a, a slight thing to pontificate on a little bit here. Why? Remember what I said? These allow us to ask better questions. Mm-hmm. Why is Tim Nakram the number one? Mm hmm. You know, we say it's the best deck in the format, but that's because the numbers are already showing that it's the best deck in large part because of just its sheer raw numbers. Why are so many people playing this deck? And is is it because it converts the best? No, Devish Krom does, you know. So if we're doing on just a winning percentage only, Mm -hmm. I don't think this is the number one. So why are so many people bringing this deck to the tables? It's 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 hurting its own win percentage because it's showing up in half of a pod. Here is the actual best take about it is Tim Necrom is the most consistent deck in the format by like a wide margin. It is going Mm -hmm. to give you the most consistent decks or uh, uh, results. It is the deck that, you know, Joe Nobody from Washington can pick up the deck and have a decent shot of making top 16 just picking up the deck. Yep. You can't say that for most pe- most decks. Kinnon definitely can, you know, be part in that conversation. But again, like we said, there's a high 
uh, like learning curve with Kinnan. There is a learning mm-hmm. curve with Tim Nacrom to some extent, but also when the meta game right now is just draw cards and figure it out, champ. And you're not mm-hmm. feeling the pressure <laughs> to turbo things out, which is not what the meta game is right now. Uh, mm-hmm. That is a deck that is going to perform very well in that like play space. So yep. when you look at that, Yes, it does have a lot more entries, but I think even when you look at it proportionally, I mean, it still is a 30% win percentage, all of that stuff. And that is with a lot of people playing it and not many decks that, you know, if you look at the other decks that are in this upper echelon of entries, right, they all kind of hover around 25 to 26 in that general area of win percentage. And that is kind of what you would expect when you have that many people playing it, right? It would Mm -hmm. kind of level itself out. Tim Necrom doesn't level out at 25. It levels out at 30. And that's Mm -hmm. huge. So I I think that is a a huge part of why I think it's the best deck right now. Yeah. And one of the other things that I would also put in there is I think this is one of the most fun decks for a newer player to play. This makes you feel powerful. It does. It really does. It makes you feel like you're cheating. It just like (laughs) every hand's a banger because you can either go for your win, grind the game, cast your commanders like every hand can do that. And just the ability to be able to pivot on so many strategies with one single deck is so powerful. I -hmm. have seen people in a single game or I'm sorry, a single night take the same deck and go, I'm the turbo player. I'm the mid-range mm-hmm. player and I'm the control player with the exact same deck. And yeah. I can't say that about many other decks. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, because I remember I, I went on record being like, hey, you could probably cut add Nas for Blue Farm, right? Yeah. Which is true. You could. Mm-hmm. Um, it would just be a slightly worse deck because of that thing that Ryan was talking about, right? Like I, I played against a pod in Texas when I was like the the playing that that tournament that I ended up winning in Blue Farm. And I was like, you know, there, there was a pod with Kirk early on. I was like, Kirk's just gonna keep pushing and pushing and pushing, and I'm not gonna grind all this decks here, right? So I literally just went, yeah, sure, I'm an early vamp for my Nas. And, you know, I went off on top of everyone else. And I was like, the fact that, once again, the pivot, the pivot potential pivot. is not that good. So, <laughs> yeah, so huge, right? you, you're able to just transition to, hey, let's, 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 it's my time. I'm going off now, right? And also, like, there is nothing as succinct and declarative of I'm going to win the game as a Teferi, a Grand Abolisher, and a Ranger Captain. Yep. Like, there's nothing that says this game is over like those cards. Really. Yeah. Absolutely. Um. So, Ian, uh, tell me why Kinnan's the best deck. <laughs> Kinnan is goaded. No, I mean, I don't know. It, it part of it's a feeling for me. Part of it's just. I mean, it, so so in the realm in which Blue Farm lost all opponents due to the printing of Orcish Bowmasters, Kinnan gained one of the pieces that solely plugged up one of the weaknesses of this deck uh and that's the one ring right so mm-hmm. the kinnan's default issue is that it is one of the most board dominant decks potential wise of any other deck right like the ability to convert activations because of your doubled mana basically four mana for a normal deck like a thrasios activation can turn into a neza hall a void winner a tides about tyrant a, a hullbreaker heart etc right so that conversion is so succinctly powerful in Kinnan on a base level, right? But the weakness of the deck has always been, unless you hit your Nezahal, your Consecrated Sphinx, your Sylvan Library, stuff like that, your hand is therefore empty, right? And you are lower on resources than your opponents, right? So you can 
have a dominant board state, but your opponent can still jam a Thoracle console. And you're like, oh, man, I don't got shit for that. Right. Because that my coma doesn't tap the down the Thoracle. Right. And so so you end up in these scenarios that are unfortunate because of that situation. Right. Now, let's transition to the printing of the one ring. Right. The one ring is it like comically easy for Kinnon to cast, right? Four <laughs> mana, the Kinnon yeah. is nothing. That's a turn like, one. It is, it is, it is still Chizada nothing at all, right? So you can easily just be like, turn one, mana vault, turn two, Kinnon plus one ring. Like, that conversion is comically easy, right? Same thing you can do with, like, Lotus Petal and Delighted Halfling, right? Like, like or, or any number of combinations of all of these archetypes, right? Um, the fact that Talismans have no downside in Kinnon, you can literally play them and then convert to the exact amount of mana you can play right away. Like it is is just like one of the craziest upsides of this commander. But anyways, the, the one ring specifically anyway, fills that hole, right? It, it, it covers for the potential of, oh, the game's going to shit. Like I, I can't control the board, et cetera, et cetera. Well, let me actually have this unrevealed information, right? Kinnon is very good at revealing information, dominating the board in a very revealed way. But if your hand is supplemented, then it is so hard to be able to pick it apart, right? Because you can be like, all right, well, I have my removal spell. I'm going to use my odd removal spell to be able to hit this Void Winner, right? And everyone's like, oh, finally, the Void Winner is going to go away. And Kinnon's like, yeah, but I got these counter spells because I've been drawing with the one ring the whole time. You're <laughs> like, damn, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, that is, that's the part where Kinnon feels insurmountable, right? Um, is it like a 0.001% thing I have over Blue Farm? Yeah. For me personally, I would feel just a just a smidge more comfortable playing Kin in a tournament because of the little things, like being able to be like, I'm not a Nas deck. There is no point in attacking me, actually, right? Like comparatively to a blue farm or a rock side in your pod, right? Little things like that allow you to exist in the game later. The fact that I can not be a problem for a little bit, the fact that I do not have to push to flip into a big creature, the fact that I can be like, I'm going to play a card advantage engine, let you guys do your thing, and you can make demonstrations to the table that say, this is not the problem deck, right? It, it's a deck that can play well with the rest of the table, right? And as someone who likes going into the late game in this format, I don't want to have a deck that says like, yeah, it's strictly correct to beat the shit out of me at all times, right? Mm-hmm. Which Blue Farm has. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Blue Farm says that all the time, right? And Rockside, and, yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Rockside too, yeah, absolutely. And so like these very good decks, they have these giant targets on their head that say like, hey, I need you to kick me while I'm down, right? And then there's also the fact that once again, Kinnon is two mana. <laughs> like, yeah. Kinnon is two freaking yeah. mana. And you recast it for four and you recast it for six and you recast it for eight because that's fine. You want to dump a bunch of stupid mana with the deck anyways, right? Um, yeah, it so always feels like the... wasted removal when you yeah, remove a Kinnon. You're like, it I'm does. wasting this card in my yes. hand. I had the same thing when I was playing Derevi, right? Where I was like, yeah, people were like, yeah, I could kill Derevi right now, but he's going to pay for and put it on the battlefield and untap the mana source he just used to pay for it. So it doesn't matter. <laughs> right. right? And like Kinnon feels similar, right? To that that sort of inevitability or or, or almost like nihilistic mentality of like, it, it, uh, there's no point in doing this right now, right? Like I'm not taking a game action that's helpful. Um, so for all those reasons, Kinnon is exceptionally strong and continues to put up results and you know it has like kind of a flimsy main combo but like it's a flimsy main combo that's one singular card that needs a few other supplemental cards to convert to a win right and then they're super easy to assemble super easy to two to four in the colors and then yeah sometimes you're just like okay i'll play a tides about tyrant you're like yeah sure i guess like <laughs> what am i supposed to do <laughs> what do you mean <laughs> yeah uh ryan Last but not least, what is your number one deck for the year? 
Okay, so Go to Bandit Warlord came out in 2018, right? <laughs> and when Helm of the Host was printed, it was no, I'm just that's actually not my number one. So my number one at the controversy of everybody is Najila, the Blade Blossom. Ooh. Everyone else's sevens and eights is my number one. Okay. And the reason that it's number one is all the things that you all said earlier about how Bowmasters really put a, a hamper on it and stuff like that. None of that has changed. All that stuff is still very, very true. But barring Bowmasters, this deck seems to always be the one that can fight and do just about anything. And it's because of how that commander is built. That commander, you could build a deck that just makes sure there's no creatures on your opponent's boards and just win by itself. It has, I think, a certain there's a certain number of attacks. I always get the number wrong that just just wins the game by itself because of yeah. the, the the snowball effect of the warriors. It's like six, now, isn't it? it's something like that. It's like six unimpeded attacks. The game is over. Yeah. You don't need a combo with it. You don't need to or your yep. repository or whatever it's on nowadays yeah, and stuff like you right. don't need that. You can do it by itself. And yep. that's insane how powerful that is mm -hmm. now. The whole thing about the Bowmasters is true, but this is my caveat to Bowmasters. Okay. Back in 2019, I created the CEDH staples list. Um, <laughs> we won't go on to too deep a subject on that, but basically the long short of it is it's all the things that are considered staple cards for our format. It started from the deck list database. We formulated the thing and, and it's been carrying over for years and years and years. Yeah. One of the things that I extrapolated from that when I was curating that list was that the things that people said are going to be staples and they're here forever and they're never going anywhere is not true. <laughs> people yeah. are universally one. They are horrible about evaluating cards in a vacuum. Um, they're so bad at it. It's like laughably bad how bad yeah. it is. Mm -hmm. And I'm mm -hmm. not talking about commander players. I'm talking about CDH commander and magic players. I'm talking the whole swath of this yeah, entire the game. Yeah. They're notoriously <laughs> bad for it. And everyone's like, Oh my God, Bowmasters is the, th it's, it's the death it's the, this it's the doom and it's the gloom. It's like, give it a year, maybe give it two years and Bowmasters will be replaced by something else. Or the meta will adjust to the point where Bowmasters isn't relevant anymore. <laughs> I say that because, and I have one specific example, uh, back in the early days, I kept all the historical data from the CDH deck list database. I'm sorry, the sta staples list. There was a card that was in almost half of all black decks and all the way through like August of 2020. So from like, you know, for like six or eight months, it was a card that was in every single black deck. Everyone ran it. Can you guess what it is? Assassin's by Trophy. The way? It wasn't Assassin's Trophy. It's a good guess, though, by the way. It, it's it's a it, creature. So it's a mono black. It's a mono black creature. Oh, Confidant. It's Dark Confidant. Oh. Yeah. Who plays that? boomers <laughs> exactly <laughs> old heads like yeah. me <laughs> i think it's really good in mad farm <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah well i mean this format's like i mean you know at that time we didn't have fierce guardianship shit, i know right like, that's, like, that's, that's like, what i'm saying new cards yeah. come out yep. metas shift it's sometimes yep. a shift according to those things mm -hmm. which makes things like Bowmasters weaken over time yeah. it, yeah. it Bowmasters was printed into a meta with timnas everywhere and, you know, and things like that, which made it so unbelievably powerful. Take away all the creatures. You take away Bowmaster's power. You really sure. do. I mean, yeah. yeah, pings and wheels and blah, 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 blah. But, you know, like, <laughs> no, but, like, that's absolutely correct. Right. Like, that's, yeah. that, and that's why you see decks like Tivit and Atraxa doing better in general, because they're like, yeah, I don't care about my creatures 
to be honest. <laughs> exactly. Right? Like, I don't I don't really care about them. Do you want to pay your ward the ward cost for every single bowmaster trigger? <laughs> Let's fucking go, baby. <laughs> <laughs> but like for example, everyone's like they're they're blowing their tops at roaming throne right now. I'm like, guys, calm down. Roaming Throne is not going to be a CDH yeah, staple. What are you guys thinking? People, actually <laughs> top lower. people were saying it was first came out. Yep. Oh Roaming God. Throne is going to be in all these decks. It just not it's on such the a good value. Piece. We weren't. Universally, I guess this is a Magda card. <laughs> yeah. It was just like, what? but everyone's like, oh my God, what? A, anyway, I, dig, I digress. What I'm saying <laughs> is, is that when Bo- Najila was doing so strong, and when Bowmasters got printed, it was in a heavy Najila meta. Mm-hmm. A lot of Najila decks were out there and everyone kind of got preemptively scared by it. There was still the Najila hardcore players that still played through it and stuff like that. But a lot of the people that were just, you know, eh, you know, Najila's pretty fun. I have it as my second or third deck. They stopped playing it because Bowmasters. It's like when people stop playing Yison because of Opposition yeah. Agent. They just, yeah. just disassembled the deck without even playing through it. Yeah. Um, and so I think Najila is still a very, very strong deck. Nothing really changed with the exception of that one card. Yeah. And when that card leaves, Najila will come back. I, I, I still think Najila is the best one. I, I will yeah. give you some like I, I will agree with you on that point to some degree, because it was like I, I remember when Op Agent got printed. Right. Like there was mm-hmm. like this huge thing. It was like, oh, this is going to kill oh, yeah. Sisay. It's going to kill all these kill things. Sisse. But Sisse yep. is just mm-hmm. not a viable deck with Op Agent. I remember mm-hmm. people saying that. And yep. uh, wow, they have egg on their face. And mm-hmm. it's just exactly. like, I, I, I do think there is some credence to the idea that, you know, one card can't kill an archetype. Um, mm-hmm. Now, I, I do think some cards can kill an archetype, but, you know, Bowmasters, I think, I, I think to jump off from what you said, I do agree with you. Mm-hmm. I think that Najila decks really just need to adjust and then they'll probably adjust. be right yes. back to where mm-hmm. they were. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think that's not a very, a particularly hot take, uh, but <laughs> yeah, once we see a downtick of Bowmasters, which we will see, by the way, mark, mark the point in this video that yeah, will yeah. happen, you know, in another couple of years, we will see a downtick of Bowmasters and I, we will see that uh, we'll see. Najila come that back. might be the hot take for me. Is yeah. that, I, I don't think okay. that card's that's going fine. Anywhere. I, yeah, that's yeah. fine. I, I didn't say it's going to happen in six months. Yeah. yeah I yeah. said it might take a couple of years. But it will happen. I'm not saying it'll go away because there are some cards that never go away. I think Bowmasters is a card that I think will probably get banned before it just evaporates on its own. Um, We'll see. I I, I can't predict the future. We'll see. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, so Najila is my number one. My number zero is Godo, Bandit Warlord. See, yeah, back yeah. when 2018 when Hamlet. Yeah, <laughs> yeah um, exactly. We, so. I, you know, I, I could make this joke. Uh, uh, what is it? Uh, Ian's number one is Belby, or number zero is Belby. Um, yeah, Belby. <laughs> yeah, I did the other day. I was looking at that and I was like, I did get some new tools. And I was like, no, because they're going to yell at me again. Everyone's going to be like, me and you, the only one looking at me this deck. <laughs> <laughs> Every day, that's that's the note I got for why that got taken off the database. They were like, "I'm pretty sure they're the only person that can move with this." Deck. That's like, so funny. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Well, Ryan, oh. thank you so much for joining us uh, in doing this year in power rankings for the like five mm-hmm. of our viewers who are not familiar with playing with power and who you are. Uh, where can people find you and what do you do? 
Thank you for having me. Uh, we always did the definitive tier list before. And now we're doing the I, definitive power rankings. Exactly. I really <laughs> love this because this is the natural evolution of it. Because mm-hmm. before we were kind of going a little bit more on our own subjective experience and, you know, some some gut check feelings and some stuff from the, the ether out there in the CDH yeah. sphere. But now we have real solid data mm-hmm. to really base these things off of. And I think that's such a cool evolution. I think that's mm-hmm. so awesome that we have this stuff now. Shout out to all those who made that a reality. Shout out to all yeah. the players who participate in these tournaments to make this data a reality, help us formulate these types of things. Yeah. You know, it's, it's all because of you all that we can do all this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, if you want to find me, I'm uh, from a small niche channel called playing with power and TG. Yeah. You can find me wherever there's a search bar. Uh, just type in play with power MTG and I'll probably show up somewhere. Not, uh, <laughs> you're not associated with Nintendo, correct? Pat, patent pending. Well, Ryan, I really appreciate you uh, joining us on the podcast. Uh, it is always my favorite time of year when I get to have you on, uh, because it is just, I, I, I love doing these videos. I think they're so fun and getting to have you on to do the new iteration of them, I think is, is super fun and i'm gonna say fun one more time just for just for fun fun uh ian uh where can people find you what are you up to these days we're gonna be at cincinnati this week Ooh, uh, yeah so am i awesome oh hey sweet uh yeah i hello i am ian the other half of this podcast and i also do my own thing wow i'm such a diverse person uh <laughs> <laughs> is there a cue card in front of you why did you read it like that <laughs> i i almost always do i Ian always does this as awkwardly as humanly possible Hi, my name is ian <laughs> i'm pretty sure the ai like voice spot that i have at the beginning of the episode reads with more inflection than ian does <laughs> <laughs> hello i am from the youtube channel and, uh, <laughs> from the youtube channel playing my with power goes squash, squash. <laughs> <laughs> sorry we'll stop interrupting your plug i apologize <laughs> yeah hi everybody uh if you don't know who i am you're one of the two people who thinks cal doesn't like tivit um <laughs> <No>. <laughs> But feel free to check me over at Comedian MPG uh, on YouTube. You can find me on Twitter and Discord, all of those places. I got a fun little Discord folks to go in. Honestly, I'm so proud of the fact that the Comedian MPG Discord often functions very well without me. <laughs> it, is, it is quite funny at this point. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I am a CEDH tournament grinder and coach, uh, a co-host of the Mind Sculptors here and have my own channel for a breakdown. A lot of the tournament stuff that uh, Cal will be talking about. So. Yeah. You know, basically all the information that you you hear as we summarize it in raw facts and figures, I, I take a microscope to uh, each tournament, talk about the deck list, the things that do well. Apparently I missed last week when someone played Francisco Thrasios and uh, wasn't even playing Thoracle Consult. And I yeah, I saw that, that. comment. <laughs> but uh, yeah, all, all those things and stuff. Uh, I have uh, quite a few, quite a few W's to my name and and. Uh, pretty good, pretty good record going for the past couple years. So if you're interested in CDH coaching, which is something I do as a, a full-time career, you can also find me at any of those places, comedianmtg at gmail.com. You can find me on Discord, Twitter. My DMs are open. So feel free to hit me up with all that stuff. It's amazing. Uh, so I think we need to start the new year off right. And uh, the, the way that I want to start it off right is uh, by a... <sighs> I don't know, Ian. 
what do you think we should yeah. do to start the, the okay, start okay, here right? <clears throat> so uh on the count of three uh we'll we'll go do something that really indicates the start of this next year or or, or some way call it next next challenge like a, a challenge to become immune to the the hard hardships of next year almost like an immunity challenge so for for my good friend jeff profax here i'll say survivors are you ready begin this is the mind sculptures podcast i'm cal i mean that's jeff (laughs) (laughs) we'll see you next week